it is very important to to remember that as an Australian employee, even on a temporary visa, they are um, they have access to rights, and we see visa holders really take a step back and not. Um, look after themselves in the sense that they don't really look into what the rights are and what um, they can do. I'm Danny Vallant and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. This fortnight on Dirty Linen, we're talking to temporary visa holders. We're also talking about them with people who know this part of our society and the ins and outs of it. Zephy Savlakis is an immigration lawyer. She got in touch with me about a month ago and offered to assist some of the visa holders that I'm in touch with, with legal advice. Many of those people have taken up her kind offer and every Monday evening, she helps them work through some of their issues and negotiate the tangled uh, web of immigration rules, restrictions, regulations in a very tricky landscape of a global pandemic with great uncertainty Things are changing, some things aren't changing enough, but Zephy, it's a, it's a bit of a tangled web, isn't it? It definitely is. I would say, um, you know, immigration is tangled generally. It's a very um, complicated area of law, one of the most complicated ones, um, one would say, but it's definitely become even more um, messy, if you like, um, given the current situation. We were definitely not prepared for what happened and um, having to, to navigate through um, this situation with very little guidance, I would say it's definitely been um, quite challenging. What well, what makes somebody want to be a migration lawyer? How did you get into this field? It's a very good question. Um, for me personally, I started mainly because I moved to Australia about um, 10 years ago. I was lucky enough um, that my father was born here, so I didn't really have to, um, you know, go through the migration process um, in in great detail. But that in itself kind of sparked their interest in me um, where I had to look into uh, the, the background and what has um, really developed Australia to the point that it is now. And I saw that, you know, it is a very complex area. It's a, a very um, ever-changing area and that um, kind of... Uh, brought me to where I am today. And is most of your work to do with uh, skilled visa holders, skilled migrants to Australia, or um, is it? Yeah, what, tell me, tell us a little bit about you know what you do in normal times. Definitely. So it's um, quite diverse, I would say. There's a there's a range of um, applicants that um, you know we, we assist with corporate immigration. So a lot of um, I would say uh, transfers for visas from overseas for executives, but also so um, skilled migration for um, skilled up migrants that want to um, make Australia home and we, we assist with that process and also for other more um, family-focused matters, I would say. So we do a lot of um, partner visas and um, other family-related visas, but also a lot of um, appeals. There's um, quite a, a bit of um, you know administrative appeal tribunal matters that we we handle, and also federal court um, appeals that we, if we do need to take it that um, you know step further, that we we also handle. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the joys and the frustrations of what you do? Um, the joy is definitely that um, you know the the gratitude that we get from um, from applicants that we've assisted successfully, and um, knowing that we've 
we've um, contributed that extra little bit that has um, helped them make a life for themselves here in Australia. Um, that is, I would say, you can't really um, uh, top that. The the frustrations overall, I would say that it is the uncertainty that we're often we often deal with with the department. There's a lot of you know waiting. There's a lot of silence from their end. Um, obviously, it's a a very specific area of law, and um, I'm sure that um, they don't want to be leaving applicants in the dark. But we find that very often. Um, you know, the legislation is either so specific that it kind of leaves out a lot of people or very vague so that it's very hard for us to advise. And then um, having to go through all of that while waiting and waiting with no real updates from them, that can really um, make the process for us frustrating and for, you know, our clients frustrating as well. A lot of emotions I guess your clients would be very emotional about the the waiting because it really affects their lives. Definitely. Absolutely. I, I didn't know much about the immigration system at all before I became quite focused on this issue of temporary visa holders in hospitality through the pandemic. And I've just been <laughs> like amazed, appalled, uh, baffled by how incredibly complex it is and how hard it is. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lay person. I did a, I did a couple of years of law actually, but I, but I can't say that that would have helped me that much. Um, it just to try to disentangle it and to work out how it applies to any one person's specific situation, it's, it's incredibly complicated, isn't it? Definitely. Um, as I said, it's we're very often um, faced with situations where the legislation is either very specific, which means that uh, it leaves out a vast, the vast majority of applicants where they're sitting on that grey area. Um, and our job is, I guess, to try to help them find clarity in, um, in what it is that they're looking to do or the advice that they're seeking. Um, or it's cases where the, the legislation is really outdated or really um, vague and we're, again, trying to figure out how to apply practically um, for for um, affected visa applicants that, you know, they, they need to have a, a black or white answer so that they can move on with their lives. Um, and that can very often be um, difficult because we do have our best, the, the, the client's best interest in mind, but, um, you know, there's a line that we cannot cross as far as the advice that we give. We, we try to do the best we can, but um, very often we're just stuck in that situation where it's not um, easy to, to untangle, as you said. It's something that people obviously do, do want a clear answer on, you know, is it okay, is it not, Am I? can I stay, can, must I go? It's, uh, yeah, they're very big life questions that, um, yeah, very, very hard to be in, in the middle of. What, what are some of the things that you've encountered uh, since uh, the coronavirus crisis struck us in terms of visa holders in Australia? Definitely. So with um, most, especially temporary visa holders, there's specific visa conditions that they have to abide with and um, or abide by. And what we've seen is that, um, you know, due to factors outside of their control, they're actually not in a position to uh, comply by those conditions. So um, the biggest challenge has been trying to advise our clients that want to do the right thing and they don't want to breach their conditions while, you know, keeping in mind that um, very often they don't have a choice. For example, 
temporary visa holders that have been stood down um, where in cases where their visas that you know don't allow them to actually take breaks like that or um, they're not allowed to go from full-time to part-time work but um, thankfully we have seen a little bit more uh, um, clarity as far as that goes and the department has been a little bit more understanding um, with these kinds of conditions so there is a little bit more flexibility not enough if you ask me but um, there is a little bit more flexibility as far as um, those types of um, conditions go and then we've also seen that um, uh, especially in in the last I would say three months or so where we've seen that really strict lockdown and um, specific industries having to shut down uh, visa holders that are you know depending on that day-to-day um, work to to survive in Australia there's really no support and um, that in itself becomes quite problematic because that obviously it has a domino effect into other areas of their lives as well. Yeah, so just to get a bit specific, there's one um, case that I forwarded to you this morning by email, some, uh, someone who'd emailed me. He's on a um, temporary short-term skilled visa, 482. He has a, as part of that visa, there's a requirement that he needs to earn a certain amount in every financial year. However, he's then been stood down, so he's obviously not earning. He's freaking out because he knows that he's not abiding by the condition of the visa under which he came into Australia. Um, so, I mean, in that case, this is one of the situations you're talking about, that that requirement has been relaxed, hasn't it? Well, not exactly. So it's, again, it's 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 always a, a bit of a, uh, a grey answer, if you like. Um, there's two sides to that. One is obviously the visa holder and the compliance by those conditions on his, on his or her visa. Uh, at the same time, employers and sponsors in Australia have obligations that they need to uh, comply with. With everything that's going on, um, you know, obviously the department is more understanding and a little bit more flexible. So um, in cases where there is a prorata arrangement um, and they do reduce hours, then they don't necessarily have to comply by that condition to earn that certain amount. So um, that's why it's not a it's not a yes, it's not a no, it's kind of a, a maybe that uh, and we have to approach it depending on um, you know the, the particular applicant and the, the particular circumstances. So um, in short, that requirement specifically doesn't apply in this particular situation, um, but at the same time, the employer has an obligation to remunerate um, in accordance with a prorata arrangement and agreement that they come um, with uh, the, the visa holder. Right, but sometimes if the employer is not sticking to their obligation, then that affects the um, the ability of the employee to uh, abide by the conditions of their visa. So it's correct. It's, it's an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's just very important to to make sure that um, in these situations they get advice, and um, it's not very safe to assume, I guess, what's right or wrong is. Um, it's better to have that extra uh, layer of support, e- even if it is, you know, on a free um, basis or if, they, if they're able to get advice from a, a professional um, on either party. Yeah, well, I guess, of course, you know, 
not working means not earning means not much money. So it also puts um, these visa holders in a real bind when it comes to paying for legal advice. Um, so it's that's a really tricky thing as well. And I think it's worth perhaps just talking a little bit about how much many of these people do invest in their time in Australia. Can you just talk through some of the costs um, related to coming to Australia to work? Certainly. It is quite substantial and um, it's very good that you're bringing it up because um, very often I think it just it kind of gets lost in in the process of everything. But, um, you know, from from an applicant's point of view, apart from if we're talking specifically about, you know, 42 visa holders there, um, the, the employer-sponsored temporary visas, um, in Best case scenario, you know, some employers cover for those fees, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, in cases where the, the the applicant has to bear the cost, you're looking anywhere between, I would say, um, you know, two and a half to to six or seven thousand dollars, depending on their occupation as well, and that's government fees and um, professional fees if they are engaging a professional to assist them with uh, the process. There's other fees that um, are not included there it could be, you know, police checks that they might have to do or English tests that they might have to do, very often translations, police, um, health insurance policies that they have to take out. So it definitely um, adds up, uh, especially if they have consecutive temporary visas that they're lodging over a period of, you know, two, four, six years that many, many of them do. Yeah, because it's not a one-off cost. It's not like you pay and then you just you like just wander along the pathway. Every time that you uh, reapply or change your visa status, there are similar costs to do that. Correct, exactly. Zephy, a lot of these visa holders feel like they don't have many rights. You know, they're so terrified of not being able to stay in Australia in many cases. They're very scared about losing the, their job. Perhaps they're just hanging on by a thread. Perhaps they're stood down. Perhaps they're getting, you know, one shift a week, whatever it might be. Can you talk about that and, and about whether they still do have working rights even though their visa status is uncertain? Yes. So that's a very important point, um, especially given the current situation. It is very important to to remember that as an Australian employee, even on a temporary visa, they are um, they have access to rights, and um, you know very often there is a a confusion around that. Obviously, because there is a, a power play or um, a position of um, a, a privilege to an extent when it comes to the employers, where uh, we see visa holders really take a step back and not. Um, look after themselves in the sense that they don't really look into what the rights are and what um, they can do um, with everything that's going on. So we it's, we try to remind them that, um, and obviously that's a last resort, but um, there, there is uh, access to fair work. And for um, employees in Australia, there is all, um, that extra um, source of support where if they're unsure um, you know, if, if their their employer says something or if they offer them something that they're not sure um, that if it's legal or not, um, they can get they can get in touch with her fair work and um, they can have a discussion with them. They tend to be quite helpful. So I think that it's um, it's very important to um, to to remind them that even though there is that imbalance when it comes to um, employers and employees, uh, they, they do have rights and there is there is support there for them. 
um, it's definitely not easy when, um, you know, their livelihood depends on that extra shift or um, the, the prospect of work perhaps in the near future. But um, I don't think that it's uh, that there's it's fair to let a situation just carry on because of um, because of that um, that the power play. Mm. Do you think? Uh, I guess pulling back a little bit from the immediate situation, do you think that the immigration system overall is is good? Or, I mean, do you think it's inevitable that it's very complicated? Do you, inevitable that there are delays? Inevitable that it's confusing? Do you think that's just the nature of immigration, and you know we just have to put up with it to a certain extent? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, it's definitely. I definitely feel that there's a, a significant room for improvement. Um, there's things that are purposely difficult and there's there's parts of it that could definitely be a lot easier and more humane, if you like. Um, I think that there's, you know, the delays, the... Um, the the insufficient resources that we have perhaps allocated to the migration process, um, they do take a toll on the visa applicants and that um, that is reflected to um, you know how how they interact and how they um, to an extent settle in society over a period of time so um, there's there's definitely um, things that we could be doing to improve the situation so that it is um, more more humane as a process I feel that what what has happened over over the years and that to to be fair, there has been a slight improvement, so I'd say, up until COVID. So things started to be a little bit faster or a little bit more objective in their assessment, if you like, um, in the last um, two to three years compared to um, quite a while ago. But um, there's still a lot of, I would say, um, political background that to an extent um, translates into the processes and the requirements and how these are uh, assessed by the Department of Home Affairs, which is the the overseeing um, government body. So uh, in that sense, there's definitely a lot of uh, more work that we need to do to get it to a point where we can say that, um, you know, Australians actually treating uh, visa holders or visa applicants um, uh, in a fair and um, humane way. When you say political, what kinds of things do you mean? I don't want to get too into it, I guess, but um, it is, it's definitely, we see a change in approach um, with migration with every um, change in government that um, that happens every, every so often. So, you know, whatever political or whatever agenda the particular um party has with regards to migration, that is very quickly reflected in, um, you know, the processes, the speed with which um, certain things happen and um, the requirements as well. Um, we we used to see a lot more, um, I would say, un- it, it was a bit more unfair in a sense of how uh, matters were handled um, in situations where there might have been, you know, a very simple um, requirements that could have been addressed um, objectively, we saw that there was a lot more subjective assessment and very often we felt that there was not enough communication. Um, it was all very, you know, paper-based and black or white. And But the, the truth is that, you know, we're talking about humans. There, we're not black and white. The average person that um, starts a migration process, we want to make sure that they meet all of their requirements. But very often... 
as I said, it's a lot of grey. It's not as um, black or white as um, as the, the, the department and the government would like it to be. So this is where we would expect a bit more support and um, um, more understanding and more, more of a humane conversation rather than that um, bureaucratic approach where it's, you tick all the boxes or you don't and then um, that results in a significant change in your life um, uh, in the short and, and long term as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky one because it is a bureaucracy and in a way it has to be. There has to be a system. Every person can't just be like, like hi, I'm Jane and I want to start from scratch uh, with this whole conversation about moving to Australia. So I guess there has to be a system. But as you say, there, there also has to be an understanding and I guess the resourcing that allows those people to be um, assessed uh, in a reasonable time frame and with due regard for their humanity and their, their personal circumstances. So uh, I guess each government draws the lines in different places. I think, you know, if you look at the um, the government's approach to refugees and the visas there, like some of the policy there does seem particularly cruel and designed to delay, designed to demoralise, designed to make people just give up. Um, and it's been a disappointing surprise to me to dip a little bit into the um, the, the working visas and find a similar tone in some of the um, some of those documents and and in the way some of those processes are applied and impact on people's lives. So yeah, I um, understand you don't want to go too much into the politics, but it is um, there's obviously ideology at play. It's not simply about um, you know people pushing pens and just pushing them a bit a bit more slowly than uh, than they might. So. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, there's one situation around temporary visa holders that doesn't get as much uh, airtime and that's the fate of people who are on Australian temporary visas but they happen to be overseas when the borders closed. Um, and many of those people are still stuck overseas. Um, can you talk a little bit, a bit about those people and, uh, you know, their situation? Yes. Um, so since the start of the pandemic, there's obviously been travel restrictions both um, inbound and outwards for um, Australia and um, temporary visa holders were, were some of the first ones that um, uh, were affected by those travel exemptions. From what we're seeing, um, especially in the last, I would say, two to four weeks, um, there's definitely a lot more um, a much more strict assessment of the criteria that allow, um, you know, applicants to then travel back to Australia if they have been stuck overseas, as you said. So um, what we're seeing is that temporary visa holders that are either currently in Australia, they want to leave and then obviously return or um, are already overseas and have been affected by the restrictions they cannot make an entry to Australia even in cases where they have a valid visa to return. And what that means is, um, you know, a lot of people were actually, um, they got stuck overseas while they had a lot of um, financial responsibilities that they had to take care of here. That could be, you know, rent or um, bills or certain um, memberships that they had. And then obviously their personal belongings and friends and um, in some cases family. So having to to deal with the stress of that, knowing that you have a valid visa, but uh, a visa, but you can't actually, um, you're not allowed to come back in Australia. 
um, it's very frustrating. Um, the the requirements or the grounds on which you can get an exemption to travel, they are very strict, and um, they're, they're, they're becoming more strict um, as the situation escalates um, in, in Australia and especially Victoria. Um, so what we're seeing is that the department is very reluctant to approve, even in cases where there's you know, substantial evidence that, um, that the, the particular applicant might actually meet the requirements to be granted an exemption. Yeah, it just puts pe- some people in incredibly tough situations. I, I read a story yesterday about a, a woman who was in India caring for a sick family member when the borders closed. In Australia, she has a husband and a son. Uh, she applied 15 times um, on compassionate grounds to be allowed to return to Australia. And it was only on the 15th time that she was given um, leave to jump on a plane and come back home. And I mean, she had no idea why the 15th application was accepted. Uh, It was just refuse, 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 refuse. And then finally like, yep, flights, you know, flights leaving tomorrow. So it's, it's, um, I mean, yeah, it's, as you say, you know, these are, these are real people in, with real life circumstances, incredibly stressful uh, in a situation that's already stressful for, for all of us in, in different ways. (sighs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many stories like that. Do you find it draining, like your your work? Because you do see people often when they are at such a stressful point in their lives and, and you're not always able to give them a clear path forward. Um, it's not draining at all. It's actually um, it, it definitely, you know, over time it takes a toll um, on us as well. So we try to, there's a lot of support, um, especially where I work. We talk about um, our clients quite a bit just to, to make sure that we get it off our chest really. But um, with our line of work, it is very, um, you know, client focused. So it's, we try to be as, um, as empathetic as we can, and we try to be as understanding as we can very often, you know, we, we have to be, uh, pragmatic and we have to be factual and, um, we, we try not to let obviously emotion, um, get in the way, but at the same time, as we said, these, these are real people. So it's very hard not to get, um, um, emotionally, I would say affected, but, um, we, that's why we try to, you know, give back, um, a little bit. And especially in this current situation, we try to help, um, as much as we can, even if it's not, you know, strictly legal work, um, but it's, it's the area of law where, you know, you, you learn how to deal with it, um, over time, I would say. Mm. If there was, if they gave you a magic wand and said, Zephy, you know, you can change whatever you want to change about the immigration system. Is there one visa class or one run regulation or one way that a rule is applied that you just think, oh, this one, that just has to go. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say that I would really like to be able to, as a professional, um, have a, a direct line of communication with the case officers that are that make assessments, so that um, you know that we can have that conversation and um, you know respectfully put our, our arguments and thoughts um, to them, um, instead of having to deal with this, you know. Um, online system that is just it feels very um um very unapproachable really so that if there's one thing i would be i would change um that would be it 
Mm. You know, I, I think I would change at the moment the stipulation that people on sponsored work visas were only able to work with the employer that sponsored them, even if it was just, you know, for for the period of the pandemic because, you know, we've spo- we spoke to um, to Michael this week on the podcast. He's a, he's a sponsored chef and he's just sitting at home Um yeah, occasionally going fishing apparently, but he's just he's unable to look for any other type of work. Uh, he's just hoping that his his employer is able to stand him back up and re-employ him at some point. Yes, and we we've seen that quite um quite a lot, especially with um employer-sponsored visa holders that are limited. Um, Given the situation, I would definitely um, expect to see a lot more flexibility as far as, um, um, you know, the department's instructions with um, these these conditions, Um, not only to, you know, extend it so that people can actually get any type of work that they can, but also we're seeing that, um, especially as of late, they have started cancel not to scare um, anyone, but um, they have started cancellation processes for um, visa holders that have been found to be, you know, breaching their conditions, even you know, due to factors outside of their control. And that is very, very unfortunate. It is um, obviously an added stress with um, on top of everything else that's going on. And it's a situation where we we can get it across the line because we can explain, obviously, that um, a breach didn't necessarily uh, occur by choice, but it's it, we would expect that there would be a lot more understanding when it comes to, um, to these um, processes and at least try not to um, intimidate temporary visa holders, if you like, with these, with these sorts of... Um, um, cancellation um, actions. Mm, that is scary. So, for example, is that if a skilled worker hasn't um, worked for 60 days, that's one of the, the conditions of their visa and then their visa is liable to be cancelled. So you've seen that happening, have you? Yes. So that started um, recently and it is um, unfortunate and it is disappointing. Effectively, what we're seeing is that um, the department is pushing for um, people that haven't managed to, you know, stay employed or, um, you know, comply with their conditions, there is that push for them to go back home. And that is really, really unfair, really, really, um, you know, inconsiderate given everything that's going on. I don't think that someone who's – a lot of them have been in Australia for many, many years – and to have that happen now where they've done everything right up until this point – it is um, at least unfair, I would say. Well, especially as the, those particular workers are here because we need their skills, like the employer has had to show that they haven't been able to hire for that position locally. So that's um, that's really disappointing and I'm sure there's some people who are listening to this who are now a bit concerned. Um, do you have any advice for them? Um, be proactive. So um, if there's any kind of correspondence that they receive from the department, they they should try even, you know, as we said before, um, if they are able to get representation, they should. Otherwise, any any kind of help that they can get, um, they should try to, to be as proactive as possible. Don't, um, don't let that scare them, I guess. Uh, overall, it is a very difficult situation for everyone and I'm sure that especially, you know, for employers as well, um, if we're going to talk about both sides, 
I'm sure that if uh, employers were able to, um, you know, hold on to some of these employees, they would. Um, for that reason, there can be a bit of a, um, a conversation, if you want, or um, at least some sort of arrangement that they could come with, uh, with their employers so that um, they can uh, at least stay at work, even if it is for, um, on, on reduced hours. It's it's definitely difficult, and um, I don't I, I don't mean to scare um, people, but definitely um, try to be proactive. Try to um, get advice or get help, whether it is from um, you know government bodies or um, pri- private firms or um, any any kind. The more information that they have, basically, the better it will be for them, so that um, they they can make informed decisions uh, moving forward. Well, Zafi, it's certainly a very complicated landscape and it's great to have you help us disentangle it and, of course, uh, fantastic all the work that you do for your clients, uh, helping smooth their path to work and life in Australia. Thank you so much for decoding the uh, immigration landscape for us today. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's been a pleasure, um, you know, talking to you and getting to know all these um, um, people. Uh, even, even if the circumstances aren't great, it's actually good to, to have that interaction Yeah, well, I think the pandemic sucks, but it has enabled me to meet some amazing people. So I'm grateful for that, at least. (laughs) Thanks for being one of them, Zafi. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>